Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I am Ben Duncan, and this is a place where prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana share their stories. In today's episode, I am delighted to be joined by Nizar Sultan Khan. Nizar has a unique and fascinating career story. He is a qualified physician, practiced medicine for several years, but found opportunities hard to come by when he first moved to Australia. He talks through how this led him into the Salesforce ecosystem and how he is now able to combine his passions for Salesforce and healthcare in the role of a Salesforce solution architect. This is an episode not to be missed, and I really hope you enjoy the conversation. Nizar, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ben, for asking me to come and spend some time with you. These were one of the things on my bucket list, and today, yes, it is a check (laughs) (laughs) to appear on Ben 10 Comes Show. Thank you very much. I appreciate you joining and uh, excited to have you on the show. So I think your situation, your background is fairly unique in comparison to what we see a lot in the Salesforce ecosystem. So I'm keen to explore some of that uh, and yeah, talk to you about your journey into the Salesforce ecosystem and before. Sure. So just for anyone um, listening or watching, in terms of your background, uh, let's start back when you were, I guess, before you'd ever gone into the workforce, before you even started education, what were your dreams and aspirations as a child growing up and, and what you wanted to do with your career? Yep. So... I was living in, uh, you know, I was born and brought up in Mumbai. I hail from a country called India and I was living very close to the international airport. So I was always fascinated by the flights which used to take off and land and there were a lot of pilots living in my apartment complex. So it was no surprise that, you know, as being a child, I was highly influenced by the pilots around me and I wanted to be a pilot and fly commercial aircrafts. That was a dream. That's what I wanted to be, you know, as a child. And uh, I did kind of pursue it and then I left it because I was kind of good in uh, studies, in academics. And coming from India, it's always that, you know, if you're good in studies, either you become a doctor or you become an engineer. And that kind of took over because of the societal pressure. Of course, I had great support from my parents and I thank them for whatever I am today. But the natural course was more towards uh, becoming one of these two. And then since I was good in my studies, I went on to become a doctor. <laughs> so that's something I've heard regularly on the podcast from people that say, you know, you go down one of two routes. Is that still, as far as you know today, is that still kind of the expectation from people that are academic? Yes, pretty much. It is still the same. Ben, you are from London, isn't it? UK? I am, yes. How's it out there? Oh, well, I mean, I didn't go to university, so I think that paints a picture, right? It's, uh, it's different. Like, I think... <laughs> Although my parents probably would have liked me to go to university, there was no pressure to do that. And I think my style in, I didn't love school. I was quite keen to get into the workforce as soon as possible. You know, I think I never really gave, like I I hate to say I didn't give 100% because, you know, I tried definitely, but I had other interests. I think I was really interested in business and not necessarily studying. And um, yeah, I think it's different. Like in the UK, if I see a lot of the people that I know that went to university, a lot of them don't work in the field in which they studied. There obviously are exceptions to that. But yeah, a lot of my friends that went to university studied something that is completely foreign to what they do now for their careers. So yeah, I think it's different there. There's no um, expectation. Um, It's kind of like some people go to university, others don't. And there's no real pressure to do that. Yeah, I'm glad. I think uh, India is moving towards uh, that direction. We are moving in that direction. But still, you know, 
pretty much today the majority of the people always if they're good in academics they would either be a doctor or an engineer do their graduation post graduation and then would probably get into a job or become an entrepreneur later on sure so i imagine education when you're going down the path of becoming a doctor it's probably lengthy and also pretty challenging so how did that kind of unfold what kind of commitment do you have to put into that journey Okay so firstly it's not easy to be a doctor in India <laughs> it's very difficult to secure a seat even if you as you know if if you're good in studies so i was academically good throughout my school and high school and in spite of getting good marks and scoring really well in the entrance test for medicine i had to actually travel approximately 700 kilometers from my place i don't know in terms of kilometers i may be wrong here but it was approximately 6 and a half hours from mumbai from my home city and uh, you know i had to go and study there it was pretty much rural area where this medical college was and i spent close to four and a half years studying and then uh, one year of internship so it takes around five and a half years approximately six years before you can you know put your own practice and you know get to do the gp stuff well wow. and um, obviously we'll get to the journey and how you've kind of ended up where you are now but do you have any regrets that you didn't go down the engineering path no regrets as such uh, because again being a doctor in india is a great status symbol and the respect that comes along with it uh, you know i i don't think anybody would have a regret for becoming a doctor and not choosing engineering but kind of i've come back to engineering that's what i feel <laughs> you know coming into the it uh, world i am kind of a hybrid of an engineer and a doctor so even if i had any regrets which i don't know of it is a blind spot i don't think i have any regrets Yeah I mean that makes sense I wouldn't have any regrets it had I committed to to becoming a doctor it's just interesting that obviously there's those two paths that people pursue and you went down this path and then ended up kind of in the IT space in the end so you would have probably fast tracked by going that route but then you would lack the kind of life experience that you have I guess Yep so I I think there is a different way I look at this uh, a different lens so nowadays you know take any technology let it be salesforce oracle or any technology if you're technically good you can code and you know you understand the technology of course you will do really well but i think what the market requires right now which really helped me in my journey you know we'll talk about it later on but what really helped in my journey was the business lens understanding the industry that lens as well as the technical skills that i could skill up on and when all of these you know work in tandem and as a combo then uh, you know the sky is the limit so i think even though i am in the id field uh, you know if you look at a high level i am kind of utilizing all the skills which i learned throughout my life being a doctor you know i did my mba as well later on and then coming into the it world and you know now i have 17 salesforce certifications and you know i'm a solution architect so all of them working together i like helping the healthcare organizations especially the public sector in solving uh, you know challenging situations and uh, problems for citizen welfare being Well yeah I guess your skills and background have been useful over the last 2 years in that sense in terms of the challenges we've been facing and yeah we'll definitely get to that but let's look at so you um, completed your studies which I think was at least 5 years right your university studies Yep so it was 6 years approximately before I could complete my studies and go on to set up my practice in India So do you then when you say set up a practice do you do you go out as like a independent like straight away or do you become an employee of a, an existing doctor's uh, establishment Yep so I did both <laughs> <laughs> So 
you know, coming from Mumbai, it, it's a city which never sleeps, right? And people generally work really hard. It's a city of opportunities. So in the morning, once I finished my graduation, I got a job from a corporate company where they asked me to be their uh, consultant physician. So in the morning, nine to five, I was working with a corporate company with a team of doctors. And it was a medical center where people would come in for the health checkup and pre-employment checkups, as well as overseas fitness. They would go through a series of rooms like cardiology, radiology, get all of the tests done including the blood tests and the urine test and stool test. And towards the end, they would come and meet me. I would do their physical examination. And towards the end of the day, when the reports were available, I would clinically correlate the results which I found by physical examination and match their blood results and ECG, etc. And stamp fitness on the certificate, stating that, okay, this person is fit for pre-employment checkup. This person is fit to fly overseas. Oh, this person is currently having an infection. So thereby, you know, he cannot fly for next 14 days, etc. That was my profile in the morning. And after taking a one-hour break, I finished at 5 p.m. Taking a one-hour break, I would go to my clinic, which would start at 6 p.m., which was very close to the corporate setup, which uh, I had joined. And from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., I would do my general practice. And yeah, it was a fulfilling career, <laughs> working 16 to 18 hours a day. And yeah, I, I kind of did both, joining a corporate setup as well as having my own practice. Wow. And then I guess you became more business focused as well in terms of the next step for you was to take on like sales and marketing and, and running those um, practices within the organization. So how did that come about? How do you go from being a you know, physician and, and a GP to then being involved in running sales and marketing? Yep. So I started my career as a hardcore doctor who would actually look at the blood results, as I told you. And in the evening, I would actually cure uh, tropical diseases like dengue, malaria, take care of lifestyle disorders like diabetes, blood pressure, etc. people coming to me. But one thing which I didn't like about being a GP is sitting in, in a cabin surrounded by four white walls and people would come and see you, right? And it was a very limited experience that I would get. And I would touch like 30, 40 lives in one day in being a GP. And in the morning, maybe another 30, 40 lives. So it would be around... 60 to 80 people that I would meet every day. And I kind of liked the morning job more where I would meet people with different experiences who are flying overseas, who are looking for different kinds of employments, have a good chat with them. The people out there in the morning in the corporate setup were really friendly, the staff that I was working with. And I wanted to do my master's. So there were two options for me. One, I would go and do a master's in medicine or the other option, which I was thinking about, which was again, not many doctors would do in 2010 was go ahead and do an MBA in healthcare management. I kind of chose the latter path. I did an executive MBA over my weekends and became uh, an MBA uh, postgraduate. And after that, you know, thanks to my boss, uh, Dr. Simi Bhatia and um, Dr. Lena Chatterjee, they actually looked at me and saw the potential to become a center manager. So apart from being a consultant physician in the morning, I also started taking care of the operations for that one particular center. And the results were really promising, it seems. My bosses liked my work uh, and they kind of, uh, you know, helped me, you know, grow in my potential and unleash my skills to, you know, to get and meet more doctors and get those doctors and hospitals to send more referrals to us. So that's how I got into sales. And once I completed my MBA, I got an opportunity to work with another company, which was founded by Dr. Sanjay Arora. And he actually gave me an opportunity to work as a cluster manager 
where I was managing not one center, but managing four such centers. And I had completely left practice by then because I got married and I had to choose between, you know, working 18 hours a day and family and work as well, right? So I chose the path of going into management where I would have a good work-life balance, where I would finish my job by 6, 6.30 p.m., be at home with my wife and family, and I have a good work-life balance. So that's how I kind of left practice in 2013 and I completely switched to healthcare operations and sales, managing a cluster. And then, you know, thanks to my boss again, Dr. Sanjay Aurora, who actually helped me unleash my full potential and promoted me to the post of a regional manager where I was managing not four, but now I was managing 50 such centers. And there were 300 people indirectly reporting to me. Wow. And then you, I believe your next move was to come to Australia, right? So what were you hoping to do in Australia? Were you hoping to go back into practice or were you uh, looking to run practices or, or get into a completely different field? Yep. So... By the time Australia happened, right, so there's a story to it, right, because when I was meeting people for pre-employment checkup and overseas checkup in my previous job, I was always fascinated by the concept of living in a first world country. And honestly, I wanted to go to the US to study uh, MBA, but US was going through a financial uh, crisis during that time, you know, 2008 had just happened and I was not able to secure a good scholarship in the US. So my ambition to go overseas and, you know, settle had taken a backseat. But uh, by the time it was 2015, I decided to apply for a PR for Australia and I came by an agency and they were like, hey, Nisar, you know, looking at your skills, like being a doctor, having MBA and having five years of experience in sales operations and marketing. I think, uh, you know, the Austrian government will be really happy to have you uh, as one of their, uh, you know, permanent residents uh, and it will open a plethora of opportunities. And they were right. When I applied for the PR, I mean, in flat 36 days, I still remember, flat 36 calendar days, I got my permanent residency. And I was like, wow. Wow, that's unheard of. Yes, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, I practically could choose any city in Australia to come and settle in. So I happened to choose Sydney because I had some friends living in here. And they said that, okay, Sydney is the best. <laughs> if you ask any Sydney sider, you are a Sydney sider. What do you think? Which is a good city? Ben? If you were to choose when uh, you were in my position, which city would have you chosen? Well, it's interesting because every year they announce the most livable cities and Melbourne always comes in above Sydney. But, you know, I think Brisbane is the dark horse, actually. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I, I've lived in Sydney for the last 12 years and I really love it. But I, I was in Queensland like two weeks ago and just the weather is fantastic. You really can't beat Queensland weather in comparison to the other states. I mean, I've never been to WA, so I can't comment, but I think that's super hot over there. So, uh, Brisbane is very hot as well, but for a winter's day, I was there for a wedding and it was just fabulous weather, but also just very laid back. Like I think, uh, yeah, the actual city is nice, clean. There's an emerging kind of growth of tech opportunities there as well. Like Salesforce have opened an office there. So yeah, I mean, I think when I came to Sydney 12 years ago, I, I didn't even consider another city. I just, I, I came because I'd seen the bridge and, and the opera house and the fireworks and people had told me I'd enjoy the lifestyle. But yeah, now I'm getting older and, um, you know, I've got a family now. I, I would consider moving out of Sydney for sure. And I think there's some other amazing places and also much more affordable places. Yep. I think this is a new one, Brisbane being the dark horse. <laughs> but generally, there is a fight between Melbourne and Sydney. So I'm pretty happy I chose Sydney. <laughs> you know, if I were to go back and do it all over again, I think I would still choose Sydney. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, moving on uh, with the story, right? So I had a friend living here. Her name was Tan her name is Tanvi. And she apparently has moved to Western Australia now. So and I was like, ah, <laughs> you asked me to come to Sydney and then you moved to Western Australia. She's living in Perth now. 
So, you know, I had good support from her. And once I landed in Australia, in Sydney, then I actually wanted to continue in the same boat that I had started where I had left in India, where I was looking at healthcare operations, sales and marketing. So I started applying for those jobs in Australia. Fortunately, unfortunately, I was not able to crack any jobs. In fact, I kept getting rejected, stating that I don't have enough local experience or rather I don't have any local experience. It's crazy, right? It's just, uh, it's just insane. Yeah. And I think apparently this was the story with many of the migrants who had come during the 2015-2016 batch. And, you know, I kept on applying for the same set of jobs and kept getting rejected. And, you know, people just didn't look at me as a manager. So I decided that maybe I should apply for the position of a receptionist or maybe entry-level positions. So I started applying for those positions and I got rejected again, stating that you're overqualified. Being a doctor, being an MBA qualified person, how come you would come into an entry-level position? You're overqualified. Once we give you the position, you may leave in six months time. So, you know, we can't give you. So I was stuck in that vicious cycle of being overqualified at the same time, don't have enough local experience. And slowly, you know, in two months time, I kind of exhausted all the opportunities that were available on the market. And it was time for me to think that, you know, I can either start thinking differently, change my approach and, you know, crack the job market in a different way. Or I could pack up my bags and go back and, you know, start from where I left, right? My leaders down there were always very supportive and they were calling me back in case if things didn't work out. That's how it was when I started my journey in Australia. At that time, like, did you seriously consider going home? And like, what did you think you would do next? Like, what was the, what were the other options if you stayed? It would be a lie if I said that I didn't consider going back. I did. Every night I would think about it uh, when the day would end. And how, how long was it that you were out of a job? Six months. Wow. Six months. So I came here on Boxing Day of 2015, which is 26th of December 2015. And probably wrong day to land in Australia because everybody is gone for holiday. And then in January, I started applying for jobs. And until February, I could not get into any of the jobs and I exhausted all the opportunities. So two months couldn't do anything. And by the time I got my first job, it was June, but that's a different story altogether. But six months, I was on the bench. Wow. It must have been scary as well, because it's not a cheap place to live, right? And and also, like, it must be hard when you're communicating with people back home saying, oh, yeah, look, I still haven't got a job. I, I guess, was there any, were there any doubters? Were there any, any people telling you to come back? There were no doubters as such. People were telling not telling me, but suggesting that, you know, if it's too difficult and, you know, if it's taking a toll on your mental health, you should come back. Because I had a full flourishing career in India. And from there, I kind of, you know, crash landed in Australia. And it was like a crash and burn exercise for the first six months. So people were supportive of any decision that I would take, especially my parents. You know, they were like always supporting and, you know, they always wanted me to succeed. But deep down, you know, you did ask me a question, did I consider going back Yes, I did uh, at certain points, but then I would kind of, you know, stop my thoughts because what I thought is not everybody gets this opportunity to come and settle in a first world country, you know, coming from a developing nation into a developed nation. Not everybody gets that opportunity. I've got that opportunity and I'm just one step away from cracking a job. That's what I used to tell myself and I should make the most of this opportunity. That's what kept me going apart from... uh, the confidence that my family, my wife uh, and people down in India were remotely offering me. So what, what did you do? Like, what was the next step? You decided to stay. What, what other career paths did you start thinking about? Yeah. So firstly, you know, I kind of exhausted the savings which I had in the first two months uh, in sustaining. It's not a cheap place to live. So I took up a job at Domino's Pizza as a pizza delivery boy, simply because, you know, it. my wife had a job, of course, at that time. And, you know, we could sustain. 
but just to have my mental peace and you know meet more people because two months i was sitting at home and as you sit at home and you have nobody to talk to you may get dragged into the dark zone so i didn't want to go in the dark zone so i started you know applying for casual jobs and domino's pizza was one company which offered me the job of a delivery expert that's what they call the people who deliver pizzas and i started working as a pizza delivery boy delivering pizzas on scooter and uh, you know when there are no deliveries cleaning the tables cleaning the toilets and you know stuff like that so i started doing that uh, just to sustain and the meanwhile i was also thinking how do i you know crack the job market and get into the workforce and what was it um, about salesforce that intrigued you or kind of piqued your interest so coming back to what i initially said right uh, i was thinking of changing my approach because it would have been really stupid of me of applying for the same job doing the same thing again and getting rejected again i knew the process now what would happen i would apply for a job the recruitment manager would take 3 to 4 days to come back to me sometimes they we won't even come back and then they would say that oh we can't represent you because xyz reasons so i decided to change the approach and i thought what should i do as a different thing you know what should i do differently so my wife uh, metali uh, who is a technical architect now she was in salesforce and she was being chased by recruiters it was probably me <laughs> <laughs> in 2016 she was being chased by recruiters you know she was from the salesforce background from india and then she came here and she just started from where she left and and i saw what was happening with her right and i thought that maybe salesforce is something which i should look at because you know there were two contrasting sides we were on the two polar opposite sides one i was not even getting an interview and she was actually getting job interviews job offers for just you know being in salesforce i thought maybe i should take up salesforce i did talk to her and she said yeah if you want to learn salesforce you can become a ba because you're not you know you don't know coding so it will take some time for you to learn coding but you can enter the salesforce uh, arena being a business analyst and that time salesforce was not in healthcare at all i mean correct me if i'm wrong ben but i don't remember salesforce talking about healthcare in 2016 it was mostly sales and service cloud yeah mostly uh, the real estate companies as well as uh, the banking sector which had adopted salesforce but nothing in healthcare so it was a daunting task for me to you know take up that challenge and completely kind of switch my career from being a healthcare professional a healthcare manager coming and becoming a ba and doing ba for uh, business analysis for banking and other sectors but as i saw myself it's like i had no other option but to change my approach so i started learning salesforce and uh, thanks to the trailheads and online uh, resources on youtube and some on udemy as well which helped me uh, gain salesforce expertise and learn salesforce gradually and my wife used to train me every day she would go to the job in the morning and in the evening she would come back and ask me what did i learn and i would say oh i learned about an object i know how to create a field now okay i know a validation rule and it's like ah i just can't understand how does the workflow rule you know work can you please explain me and she would explain me and that's how she gave me one on one coaching you know she actually trained me to become a developer and the surprising part which is unique about me i think is instead of clearing my admin certificate to be the first one i actually cleared my pd1 that was my first cert then i became an admin no way so she actually trained me to become a developer she would ask me to write test classes for the code which she had written and then she would ask me to write the code and you know revise the code optimize the code <laughs> and that's how i started my salesforce journey of being a ba slash a person who could understand and read code and it was 6 months uh, by the time you know i was job ready and after that there was no looking back i cracked my first job and my first job was with national rugby league nrl yeah and they were kind enough to offer a newcomer a you know opportunity to work in that company being a big company and of course i went through a recruitment agency but ben question to you 
if you were in the place of that recruitment agency, would you represent a newcomer like me who has no IT background, who has just learned theory and, you know, wire trail hits? Would you even consider, you know, looking at me? Oh, 100%. I think especially the market has kind of gone in that direction in that, you know, it's very, very apparent. And I think Salesforce make it clear that you don't have to come from an IT background now. And um, I think around that time, so what we're looking at, uh, 2017, is that right? 16. 2016. So, I mean, there was definitely even more. Now there's a shortage of experienced talent in the market because, you know, there are a lot of people that are looking to move into the ecosystem from a non-IT background. I think back then there was just a shortage of talent full stop, whether that was entry level, um, whether that was senior, you know, there weren't that many people around that knew Salesforce. So I think, you know, I would talk to you about your transferable skill set. And I think, you know, as soon as someone speaks to you, they, they would buy into you and, and your story. And I think, um, you know, back then I would have loved to have, have gone to a client and said, look, I'm working with a, a doctor that's um, been studying for six months and his partner is a developer, a technical architect. And, you know, he's had intense training over the last six months and you've got nothing to lose by meeting him, right? And I think once you're in front of a customer, they would buy into you instantly. So there are a lot of things in your favor in terms of, you know, you're a great communicator. Um, you're very personable, you're very likable. I think people would you know, naturally warm to you. I think now a lot of people are struggling to get that break because they've never been in a customer-facing role, right? There are people that they struggle with that one-on-one communication or, or one-to-many communication. And that's obviously not something you struggle with because of your background. And you know that's what you've been doing and, and you've been in sales and you've been in marketing and, and running businesses. So you kind of get the business side. When you say Salesforce wasn't in healthcare, did you know back in India when you were running these centers, was there such thing as a CRM within the organizations? Like were they, there must be tracking, I guess, uh, records and I'm sure patient details are stored somewhere, right? So what would they use back then? Ah, that's a great question. (laughs) So there was no concept of a CRM, at least in the two companies which I worked in, in 2016. We had an information management system. It was called as Laboratory Information Management System. That's the overarching word for that kind of software. It was strictly for registering patients and, uh, you know, uh, getting the blood reports and all the reports in place. And then there would be a button which you will press and the PDF will come out. And the pathologists behind the scenes would have access to those reports who would approve the reports, right? So if you go for a urine test or a blood test, you know, you would be entered in the system at the front desk. And then uh, there would be a barcode which would be stuck onto the test tube which where blood would be taken. And that test tube would go into the laboratory and the test will be performed by the machine. And then it would be approved by a doctor after examining your blood under a microscope. So all of that was happening, but it was not a CRM system. It was mostly a laboratory information management system. There were no touch points with the customer as such. It was mostly for managing internal operations. Yeah, wow. That's one thing I've always found fascinating and I've always been a little bit confused by because I know now there's like the My Health Record thing, right? But when I first came to Australia, and I'm not sure if it was the same in the UK, but you could go into a different doctors and they would have no history about you. That's still the case in India. Yeah, it's just crazy, right? Because say you get taken to a doctor's and you're unconscious or something and they've they've got no way of knowing what's the history, you know, can we give this medication? Can we give this injection? It's just like, you know, you're reliant on someone telling you. I, I mean, I think obviously now in, in Australia, there is a, a record and I'm not sure what they run that on, but it just makes a lot more sense for there to be, you know, a global or local platform that people with the right security access can get into, which uh, makes Salesforce a useful use case. Yep. I, I completely relate with what you're saying. I think in India, it's still all on paper. So people have this physical paper file. It, it, it goes on and on. You know? it, it, it keeps on increasing in size. My father being a diabetic, right? So I know that he has a file which is going on since last 10 years. 
So it's this fat now. And God forbid, if that file is lost, you know, all the history will be lost apart from the medicine box, which he has. That's the only thing which he has now. <laughs> That's the case. But for uh, my operations and marketing and other activities, what we used to do, we used to extract the data from uh, the laboratory information management system, especially the name of the patient and the test which they had done. And then we would work on spreadsheets and use pivot tables to run reports to understand which tests are being, you know, sold, especially during monsoons, dengue and malaria would have a spike. So those tests were in demand. So that's how we would order more inventory for those tests. So it was all on spreadsheets and it was a laboratory information management system. So it was all sporadic softwares and systems and people were working on physical pen and paper, Excel sheets, and we would mash all of them up and then, you know, come up with a strategy of how we'll run operations and marketing campaigns. That's mostly still the case in India. So even though you had business experience and sales experience, like the concept of a CRM would have been relatively foreign to you at the point where you started studying Salesforce and then obviously got your first job. So you went down the developer path first and you know got that certification, but did that come easily? Like, Did you pick up coding quite easily or were there other things that became easier for you to learn than coding? And I guess what was the most difficult thing for you to get your head around? The most difficult part was the syntax. <laughs> I just could not remember the syntax. So even though I say that, you know, I cleared the PD one, uh, I just want to make it clear to everyone, you know, who's listening to this podcast or watching this video is you don't need to know coding, you know, to the T if you want to appear for the PD one. It's not really a test of your coding skills, but it's a test of where you should stop configuration and start thinking about code. That's what PD one is all about. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what, uh, you know, Mithali, my wife actually taught me that, you know, think logically, forget about the syntax. You know, if you're not getting the syntax, it's okay. Just think logically, what would you do? Okay, this is the time where I'll run the loop. This is where I would put a variable in place, etc. So that was the most difficult part. The syntax was the most difficult part. But otherwise, uh, understanding the logic and coming up with a flow, process flow, and the flow chart, that was kind of resonating well with me. Okay. So then you went into um, NRL as a BA? I went in there as the Salesforce system administrator and a data analyst. Okay. And mostly it was a contract job for three months because uh, two months actually, it was a contract job for only two months as the regular Salesforce admin was actually going on a leave of two months uh, where she was traveling to the European countries and they wanted somebody to fill in her shoes uh, as a stopgap arrangement. And mostly my job would be around, you know, creating reports, dashboards, and if required, maybe a validation rule. That was how I started. So I'm glad that I got that kind of opportunity, which did not demand too many skills, but I, I started learning Salesforce on the job as well, the real world examples. Yeah. And then where did you go from there? So after that two-month job, I started working for a company called uh, McGraw. Yeah. McGraw Estate Agents. And there actually, uh, I met another leader and I'm glad I, you know, I met such great leaders. So I met Ryan Dean. I'm not sure if you know Ryan, but I met him and I was reporting. I know Ryan very well, yeah. So I met him and he was the person uh, whom I was reporting to. And he was, he actually tasked me with, uh, with the task of uh, setting up Service Cloud for the Salesforce instance that McGraw had. And right from live chat to case management, et cetera, all of that was being implemented by me under supervision of Ryan, of course, who was the product owner as well. So, yep, I was six months working with uh, Ryan Dean in McGraw. And yeah, I was able to implement Service Cloud. And then after that, I started working for a company called Lendlease, which was uh, in uh, construction. And it's one of the biggest uh, construction companies in Australia. 
and there again yet again i met one of the good leaders uh, i have worked with harmony is her name and she was the crm head then and she gave me an opportunity where i was managing uh, the sales for instance for uh, one of her business units and yeah that's a journey in a nutshell uh, for my end users company and the contract jobs and after lendlease i started working for deloitte deloitte uh, australia uh, the sydney office uh that was my first permanent job in australia and it was by that time i think it was 2017 late 2017 2018 by the time i started at deloitte how did you find consulting obviously another another step um you you've learned salesforce you've worked on single orgs within a business and now you go into consulting where you're obviously you're looked to be an expert when you go onto a client site and helping them uh, get the most from salesforce so how did you kind of find that leap Yep so honestly when i landed my first job uh, in consulting again i had good leaders there as well uh, i worked with the likes of chris mail and david tan both of them were extremely supportive and they actually helped me you know mentor me into thinking like a consultant and putting on a consultant cap because all this while i was thinking more like a developer more like an admin in the end user companies right okay this is the user story which i need to deliver thinking very technical very focused but what i learned in deloitte is that you should think about the problem first don't think about technology technology is just a tool salesforce is a tool to solve that problem but think about the problem first once you understand the problem think about the possible outcomes and the solutions that you would take to solve this problem and then try to fit the technology into solving the problem and where required you will customize the technology in my previous role i was doing the other way around where i would think okay this is what salesforce can do this is the story and this is how i'll fit the requirements into the existing out of the box but in consulting it completely flipped it was more about solving problems and using technology as a tool to solve those problems so it took me some time to get a hang of it but after a few projects at deloitte uh, i i started thinking as a consultant and it really helped me in becoming what i am today yeah nice we touched on the fact that you've gone into um, working with healthcare organizations and And actually it's interesting that you mentioned Ryan because he's another example of someone that you know came from the domain like he he was a real estate agent and then became a Salesforce product owner within the the real estate company and now he works in sales right again he's gone into sales but in the Salesforce ecosystem so you know I think there's a lot of examples of people that might you know find their first role in Salesforce where they've been promoted or or they've kind of gravitated towards a, a Salesforce role within the business they work because of their domain experience but it's actually quite rare for companies to hire externally so to go to a, someone with finance experience and and bring them in and teach them salesforce or go out and hire a doctor to teach them salesforce and put them into the healthcare industry right so <laughs> if you work on a project in um real estate and then you work in a project in healthcare like how much more valuable to that project are you in healthcare than than you are in in a domain that you don't have that kind of business acumen and business knowledge Yep so I think that's a great question because what I realized that you know once I joined Deloitte I was seen more of a healthcare professional and less of a salesforce technical person like the priority of you know of my skills kind of changed it it went in reverse order and again I can't thank Chris Mill and David Tan enough for it because they aligned all my projects to be healthcare projects So I was working for an insurance company it's a public sector I can't take the name but they put me on a health insurance uh, public sector company uh, project in Deloitte and there as well I was interacting with nurses I was interacting with doctors and you know I found it really easy to mix with them you know empathize with them 
as well as understand the buzzwords which they were using like diagnosis medical certificates incapacities etc and i would get it right uh, and then it would be easier for me to come up with a process for as to what exactly is happening in in the process where are the gaps plug the gaps again i would suggest some suggestions as a consultant as well as take opinion from the stakeholder as to what could a solution look like and then uh, you would come up with a good uh, technical solution that would fit the process so long story short my skills of being a healthcare professional and having salesforce i would naturally align and perform better in projects which were healthcare oriented because it kind of brings out the best in me compared to other roles which i had previously performed in a sports company or even a real estate or a construction company mm-hmm. because there what i could offer was maybe salesforce and my business analysis skills but in healthcare projects what i can offer is a much wide array a much wider spectrum of offerings that i have as a resource so do you think like um not necessarily any doctor right but anyone with industry experience can come in and i guess they have to have performed at a certain level and and actually understand the industry right not just you know, have worked in it for a period of time and not really gone deep but if someone has got deep domain experience in an industry like can they just learn salesforce and can they be able to operate in that kind of capacity oh absolutely i think uh, anybody can learn salesforce i think i am dumb if i can do it anybody can do it <laughs> i don't know about that and i actually had <laughs> i actually had uh, a nurse whom i was working with in uh, deloitte who actually took up salesforce uh, she came in as a graduate and she is doing really well today in salesforce and i have other people you know whom i have coached who were from the energy background they are doing extremely well in projects which are aligned to energy so coming back to the earlier point right it's just not the technical skills which are required in the market right now i think more value and emphasis is given even when i interview people i just don't look at the salesforce certs or the trailhead batches or points or the you know companies that they have worked in it's mostly the background that they come with and you know anybody can learn salesforce it's more about understanding the business problem and then using salesforce as a technology to solve that problem yeah absolutely it's fascinating because obviously the market is going in the direction of industry solutions and i think the talent shortage that we have that is one way of plugging the gap and i think more companies should consider that and you mentioned obviously with Deloitte you felt that they were giving you the right projects by putting you on healthcare projects but actually in reality it looks really good for Deloitte as well right because they rock up to a client and they're like we've got someone that's a doctor that does salesforce like how much more powerful is that to the customer when you turn up and you're able to you know you run a workshop and they can tell you get their industry like it's a really powerful solution to clients problems as well Yep absolutely I think it was a win win for everyone it was a win win for Deloitte win win for me and win win for customer it was the devil's cocktail i would say <laughs> Yeah absolutely and you if you were to cuz there's plenty of people now in the ecosystem or looking to get into the ecosystem and maybe struggling and not getting the breaks that they're hoping to get and i think um there's a lot of talk around the volume of opportunities that are being created in the ecosystem but people are struggling to get their first role So if you went back now and and maybe um at different stages of that journey so maybe when you're on your um, scooter delivering a a Domino's pizza would you have ever believed you would have kind of progressed to the point you are now in a completely new field as a technologist and now operating as a solution architect 6 years later No I I wouldn't have thought about it <laughs> never I mean thinking about IT would give me you know cold feet it's a different field altogether and switching your field at an age of when i was 30 plus right i'm yeah, i'm telling my age now so in 2016 i was 30 plus so at that age switching a field 
especially from the background that I come from, right? It's it's not easy. So I would have never thought that I would be in IT, learning a new technology, and then going on to become an architect, and then being recruited for the same product company as their senior solution architect. It is like a dream run, which I had in the last six years. You absolutely deserve it because, um, yeah, obviously you've worked very hard to get to this point. And, you know, I think it's um, true inspiration that you have progressed and completely flipped your career when um, you came up against obstacles and ridiculous obstacles as well that you were facing when you first moved to Australia. So, yeah, I think lots of people will take inspiration from this and I'm sure people will have some questions as well. So where is the best place for people to contact you if they want to pick your brains or ask any questions? Yep, I think LinkedIn is the best place. Uh, my LinkedIn handle is, you can search with my name, Nisar Sultan Khan, and you would find find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed chatting. And uh, yeah, I really think our audience are going to love this episode. So thank you. Yeah. But before uh, I log off, can I give a shout out to uh, some of the people whom I want to as a token of gratitude? Of course. Starting with my parents, right? So I would like to thank them for, you know, educating me and supporting me throughout my life. I would like to thank my wife, who is still my Salesforce guru. Whatever problems I still have in my Salesforce or even in my personal life, I would go to her and she's a mother of my uh, child as well. So, you know, uh, I would like to thank her for everything that she has done for me and all the leaders whom I've worked with. I've taken some names, but uh, my current uh, leader, my current boss, Archana Nandini, she has been extremely pivotal in uh, aligning me to, to my interests and giving me the right roles in Salesforce and ensuring that I am working uh, in areas which actually excite me at the same time, you know, creating that win-win situation for the clients, for me, as well as uh, for her as the company as well. Lastly, uh, thank you to all the recruiters, uh, including yourself, Ben, who actually took keen interest in me and helped me, you know, reach where I am today. So a big thank you to all of you for supporting me in my journey, because it's not, you know, you put it that, you know, I struggled and, you know, I went through obstacles, but I would say the other way, I would flip it around. I would say that I couldn't have done this without the support of everyone who have touched me in my life and becoming a good professional, a good resource in Salesforce. So thank you. Thank you, everyone. Well, thank you again. And I'm sure lots of people that have been involved in that journey will be listening to this fondly. So uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed the chat. And, uh, and thanks again. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ben. So that's a wrap for this week's episode and thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the chat and if you did, please make sure you have subscribed for future episodes that are coming through. I would also be very grateful if you would consider leaving a review on your chosen podcast platform as five-star reviews will help us to reach more trailblazers from across the world. I look forward to sharing another episode with you soon and thanks again.